Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Here are your hosts, Phil Dark and Ryan North. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. We're very excited here today. We have our first interview of the show, which I'm really excited today to have Paul Jobson with Baylor Women's Soccer. He's the head coach of that team. Paul, how are you doing today? Doing great, Phil. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we're, we're excited. I know Ryan really wishes he could be here. Unfortunately, as we talked about in the first episode, he had an issue with his foot. That has actually taken a turn where he's dealing with that still. So as we talked about in episode one, we're going to have to pivot, which is both part of soccer, part of leadership, and uh, part of this podcast, apparently. So, <laughs> Paul, you know, a lot of people out there, I mean, some people listening presumably know you. But I know there's a lot of people who probably have not heard of you. Uh, believe it or not, Paul, there are people out there who haven't heard of you. Probably a lot. Probably uh, a lot, Phil. It very well may be a lot. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to make any estimates on the numbers. But I would love for you to just briefly share your story with the audience, kind of how you got involved in where you are today, and really what the kind of inter- intersection you have between soccer and leadership. Yeah, sure, Phil. I appreciate that. And I think what's cool about this line of work is that everybody I talk to seems to have a different story of how they got into coaching. And uh, you know, you just assume as a kid that every coach grows up and wants to be a coach. I did not, to be quite honest with you. I thought I would grow up and take over my dad's family business. My brother was going to be the coach in life, and God has other plans uh, for sure. But looking back, I couldn't imagine doing anything different. Uh, I grew up in a great home. Older brother, older sister, both both great leaders. Christian home. Mom and dad were great in the community. Mom was a choir director. Dad owned his own business. Dad was my first coach. So I learned a lot of leadership from, from him through his business and through coaching. Through high school, I was student body president for four years, led that way. And then right before college, before I went to play college at Presbyterian, play soccer at Presbyterian College, Rob Poulsen, which probably more people know him than know me. But my dad passed away right before I left. And that was a pivotal moment for me. Uh, Great leader, great dad, great friend. And the world was turned upside down for sure. So questions running through my mind and whatnot. Leadership took a backseat big time for me during that time. But through mentors like my coach taught me, you know, what it meant to be a coach, introduced me to a young team and said, hey, if you don't coach this team, these young kids won't be able to play soccer. So I was like, oh, man, okay, suckered me into that. And I fell in love with the game again, not just as a player, but as a coach. And I learned a ton through that, through that experience. I coached a team. They were age, age range was seven to 12 and they were boys and girls. And we played in a U12 boys league uh, about 45 minutes down the road. So I learned a lot about navigating personalities, age groups, family dynamics on that first team. And I always thought coaching would be a hobby. Loved it, but it was going to be a hobby. So again, God takes control of that and uh, introduced me to my wife in Atlanta. She was playing for the Atlanta beat of the now defunct WSA, the first women's pro league. Uh, We were friends, then we dated, uh, and then we got married. And then as everybody says, don't get married, change jobs and move all at the same time. We did all three. We got married. We moved to Northern Illinois University outside of Chicago and became the head and assistant coach for NIU's women's soccer team. She was the head coach and I was the assistant. Uh, at the same time, she got called into the women's national team for the first time at 31, I guess. So I kind of took over the team from there 
while she was gone there for three years, now Baylor for 13. So a guy who never thought I would be a professional coach, so to speak, has been thrown into it and uh, wouldn't have it any other way. I absolutely love it. Love the engagement you have with players and just I've learned so much through through coaching soccer. Yeah, now you also, uh, Marcy is, your wife, is is also teaching uh, your children and some others as well right now. Yeah, she is, she's leading some, yeah. uh, leading some little, they're probably not little bears, they're probably little something else, but you have your camps that you do that. But tell me a little yeah. bit about your family. So we've been blessed with uh, four boys since we've been here in Waco. They are 11, 8, 6, and 3, and they are just obviously the joy of our lives and and. As our children started getting older, Marcy and I were coaching together here and realized other people were raising our children. So we took some steps back and she kind of phased herself out of the program, off staff, uh, to, to, to mentor our, our young children and coaching three of them right now in the, in the recreational leagues and just mentoring young people become a new passion of her younger people. She's always mentored, you know, yes. college and up, but the younger kids has become a new passion of hers that God put on her heart. And been really fun to, to watch that uh, and, and really more fun for our alumni to, to see her coaching and realizing she coaches the six, eight and 11 year olds the same way she coached our college kids. So right. it's awesome. That is fantastic. And, I, and it, what's cool about this is I'm finding out more and more about our overlap of our lives. You know, when, when we met, it was, it was actually my daughter was visiting Baylor and we, we got to meet that way, but, but we, overlapped in Atlanta. My wife was the chaplain of that Atlanta beat team. And that's how we got to know Marcy, which was fun, but you and I never met there. You're, I believe what youth pastor, somebody, Brett Armstrong was the man that I coached with in, in Nashville when I was in law school. Yep. So I forget what yep. his connection with you was, but we found that one out pretty quickly. Yeah. Brett and I, our families grew up in the same little church just outside of Atlanta. So our families are intertwined back through our, our parents before we were probably born, each of us. That's so cool. Yeah, so Brett and I, you know, we mentioned that team that I coached in Nashville that won the first state championship for Christ Presbyterian Academy. And and so that's fun. So it's just been cool. And then to, you know, and then to, to find out the whole beat connection. I saw the on, on social media, one of the playing cards from her beat days. And I didn't realize you were there at the same time until, until just uh, checking that stuff out. So that's fun too. Yeah, the soccer world we talk about is so huge, but at the same time, it's it's so small. Just the, the how it all and even through this, you and I realizing there's other connections that we have through some other future guests we're probably going to have that we didn't realize we both knew. Uh, and it's just it's fun connecting the dots and seeing how how we all intertwine a bit through this through this crazy game. Yeah, absolutely. And the hope is too is that as we learn these things, these you know degrees of separation will become smaller and smaller and smaller, and we'll hear these connections and people can connect through the show. I know other podcasts that I do that's happened and people have done different things just by connecting with people as they heard a show, heard a podcast interview or something else. And I really hope that's the case as well. Hopefully you get some future players out of this. I mean, who knows? I mean, that's not why you're doing it, but no. my hope is that people hear about it, hear about what I saw and what I was getting at when I watched the practice, just to hear how the alumni are watching Marcy coach. I, I just watched her. I was like, man, I, I think I'd want to, I definitely want my kids to play here. I'd love to coach here with these guys. Cause it's a, <laughs> one of the things I very much respected. And so I, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, thought it'd be a great first interview. So with I that, it. what is that just kind of your overall philosophy of, of coaching as you get these, <clears throat> these young women into your program, 
And, you know, you could, you could go in and you've won big 12 championships. You've had a lot of success in the, in the, your tenure there. You could go in and be all about winning and winning and let's just, let's just do what we got to do to, to, to win games at all costs. Or you can have another philosophy, which, you know, I'm kind of leading you a little bit here, but you know, I know, cause I know what your philosophy is, but can you share that philosophy that you have as you, as you coach these, these young women? Well, it's always been uh, about about the player first, you know. And we want to recruit the right the right people into this environment that that can buy into an entire culture. We don't want a, a me culture. We don't want necessarily the the superstar mentality uh, where it's all about one player. But what what role can each individual player play within a program and buy in so that as a whole we can be just a fantastic uh, team? And how can we as a as a Christian program as a as a Christian institution you know, how can we show show God's light through through what we do? How do we worship through how we play? And not everybody on my team is a Christian, I and mean, they don't have to be to, to come here. But I think when they come here, they see something a little bit different. And uh, for the most part, people want to be part of that. And I think we've attracted some amazing young people to this program because of how we do things. But at the same time, we want to compete for championships, but we want to do it the right way. And at the end of the day, these young people will will, will end their soccer career at some point and I want to make sure that what they get here will impact them later, that it's not just about soccer, but it is more about who they can be as people in, in the community and, and hopefully learn to serve God and love God while they do that. Yeah. So with that, you have, I mean, really just, it's, as you said, kind of the whole, the whole person, really, you're developing them as women to go out into the world, right? So there's that character integrity. How does, what's that got to do with like identity and just the idea of, of, what is your identity in? Well, I think for so long, especially at this level, these kids have been driven for so long to be soccer players, to earn the scholarship, to you know be you know the best player on their on their team. For us, usually it's a, it's a club team. Some also play high school and they're the captains, and that's around school, around town. They're the they're the elite soccer player, you know, and that's that becomes their identity. And the hard part is when they come to the next level, everyone's coming from that same place. So then it's super competitive. All the best players from, from their towns are coming together and competing against each other. And some people aren't the most talented anymore, right? So all of a sudden, being the best player is out the window. And it's, okay, what, it, what, it, what am I really about? What, what am I really good at? What am I, you know? So really trying to emphasize to these players that it's not about being a soccer player. You know, I think it's a tool that helps us grow and helps us develop into the people that God wants us to be. But, you know, at the end, at the end of it all, you're not going to be known as just a soccer player and helping people realize their, their identity through that and find character traits that maybe they didn't know they even had. The first time somebody sits the bench could be in college and they realize what it means to be a supportive member of the team, as opposed to the leader on the field, they've got to be the leader off the field. And that can be a really tough transition for people. But I think it's our job as coaches to help them navigate that not just navigate the best players on the field to help you win championships but also navigate those players that are on the sidelines that are pushing a, a level of training you know if the saying is you're only as good as your weakest link your weakest link better be freaking strong and for us that's what we want to to happen is want to be strong in every position on and off the field behind the scenes in their apartments in the locker room and just that's instill great great qualities in these young women Absolutely. And that's something that, you know, as we have been talking about these things, that reminds me really of when I was, I was just out of law school, I went to clerk for a judge 
and I had this opinion that I wrote and he, I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. I thought I was going to go to the Supreme court. It was going to be the biggest decision they were going to have that year. And he sat me down and he looked at me and he says, Phil, he goes, here's the deal. You you're used to being number one, you know, or top of your class. You're used to being that best student. And that, you know, that's really become part of your identity. And he says, but here's the deal. I'm here to teach you how to be a better lawyer. I'm here to teach you how to be a better person. That's part of my job. And that's how I see the coach's job, but it really any leader's job. If your identity is in your position, your job, your whatever it is, you're missing out on really so much of, of who you are created to be. Right. I mean, I think that there's that lesson. And is that something that, that you're seeing that come to fruition as, as your players leave the, the, the campus and our stop playing soccer, have they come back and talked to you about that, how that's impacted them? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the greatest things about, I think being a college coach, I mean, our job is to transition young people from when they graduate high school, they think they're adults uh, going, you know, leaving home for the first time and transitioning during these four years to really make them ready for the real world and be, be an adult, ready to make adult decisions. And, and just the joy of doing this so long now of seeing you know, what I still consider my kids, my young women who are now full adults, having children and leading families and leading businesses. Uh, a lot are in the healthcare industry, and of course, during this COVID season, just seeing them lead communities and, and be, you know, kind of the backbone of communities during this really an uncertain time from a medical uh, standpoint has been really, really fulfilling. We, are, we have a, a saying here, faith, family, football. And our idea is, can faith and family stay priority? Football changes. Faith, family, job, faith, family, whatever that may be. But the football piece, at some point, your career is over. Kind of like being a Christian athlete. You want to be a Christian mom. You want to be a, a Christian dad. You want to be a Christian employer, employee. But same thing with faith, family, football. Faith is first. Your family is second. And then football or whatever comes, whatever path you're in comes third. And I think really the, the players really embrace that as they go into the real world of a can your faith be priority number one and filter everything through that? Take care of your family. And then those things filter into what it is God has called you to do. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think that as, you, as you're talking about it, as we talk about on here, and we've talked about a lot, you know, you use those things you've learned in all those different things to help those different areas to be stronger, right? You know, and that's, that's something. But to, to make sure you have your priorities straight, I think is what you're getting at there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got to prioritize because uh, you can get lost pretty easily. I mean, you know, in, in your line of work and the, and the folks that you deal with that sometimes the, the hardest thing is getting people's priorities in order because they want to be, for me, they want they want to win a Big 12 championship. They want to win a national championship. But if their pri- other priorities aren't in line, they're going to trip over the little things and never get to that point. They're looking too far off into the distance, uh, you know. So we've got to you know, as, as leaders, we've got to narrow things down, you know, say, Hey, this, these are the goals. Absolutely. But let's, let's focus on the things that are going to get us there and prioritize, prioritize correctly. And I don't know what you've seen kind of fill through your experience uh, on some of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that just the prioritization of, of life is, is critical and to learn the lessons that you, that you um, are learning from different areas and, but to not just have those in a vacuum right to make sure that you're you're incorporating all areas as much as you can but also that you are making sure you keep the main things the main things right and so right. i think that that's that's uh that's critical so as 
you, you mentioned something earlier that talked about kind of the weak, the weakest link needs to be really strong, right? And you need to be able to have the different people on the team knowing their roles, but also, you know, something that is a really important concept in, in leadership as well is the idea of leading from the middle, right? And so how do you train up your team to, to do that? First of all, what, what do I, you know, I mean, what do you understand when I say that to, to mean, what does that look like on your team and how do you train up the, the women to, to, to do that? Well, I think it's so easy to take your best players, to make them captains, to, to, to put the leadership kind of onus on those, on those folks. But I think as coaches, sometimes the most important piece to focus on are those kids in the middle. You know, the kids that are kind of bringing the, the top in a little bit and bringing the, the, the bottom up a little bit and kind of gelling things together. They're kind of your somewhat your quiet leaders. They're the ones that lead, you know, in the locker room or back, you know, at the apartments away from the field. You know, they're they're the ones that socially are getting folks together to kind of put put a real perspective on what we're really doing here. Because I think the the elite of the elite can get lost in the clouds at times, right? Keeping perspective can be tough. And then the ones that are not getting the playing time they feel like they that they deserve, so to speak, or that they that they expected when they got in can can trickle off and, and, and fall off a bit. So the ones that are in the middle, I think, are very important. That they're kind of the glue to it, right? They're bringing things together, and I think helping lead those kids can really and focus on those kids can really be very impactful on your program. And I think as as leaders, we can't gravitate towards the top uh, because sometimes those kids can can take care of themselves. But if we can focus on some of the other parts that need the most attention. I think you serve your program. I think you serve your players or your employees or whatever it is. I think you serve it better because sometimes those are the ones they don't feel like they're getting the attention and they're the ones that can really impact your program the most. Because as we know, negativity is, is like a cancer. It can yep. spread very quickly. And the quickest ones to go to negativity are the ones that don't, they don't know, you know, it's, it's human nature to say, to not know something. And then you fill that void in your mind with negativity. So the ones that don't know, the ones you're not speaking to are filling their, their gaps in their minds with all these negative ideas. So as leaders, as coaches, uh, we've got to make sure we're filling those gaps for them uh, the proper way. And I think that just spreads through your, through your culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that it's so important. It was so cool. I was, I was talking on this kind of on this idea with a, a friend of mine from high school who, who uh, played soccer. She played at, at uh, D1 level. And she was saying, she goes, yeah, I'm not a leader in my organization, technically, but I feel like I'm the center midfielder in that organization. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm passing things off to people. I'm kind of really keeping things organized and, and, and being that, you know, not controlling things, but really being able to keep things in order and passing when necessary and really just kind of being that field general as, you know, those of us who, who play soccer know that, know that idea, right? That idea that you need that person to kind of that, that six you know, holding midfielder to be able to just play that role of holding down the fort, but also being able to put that pass where it needs to be and being in these different positions to kind of ward off the, the issues. And so I think also with that, I, with that idea, you know, it's really important, as you said, for the morale, right? When everyone, I mean, the reality is a leadership principle that I talk to people all the time about is you are leading somebody, whether you know it or not, everybody is leading somebody. I tell that to my nine-year-old son. You are leading people. You are influential. Because again, leadership is not position. Leadership is influence, right? 
Yeah. And so at you will influence if you're a negative Nelly and you're on that field and you're just being negative all the time, that's going to bring people down. If you're really positive, that's going to bring people. It's just, it's con, those things are contagious, right? So, yeah. And you, you, you hit it, Phil, that, that, in, that influence, we talk about that here all the time that, you know, leadership is influence. It's not the title. It's not, you're the captain. It's, it's influence. And everybody has, we, we always say you're either giving or taking away. There's really no middle ground. If you find yourself in the middle, you're probably influencing in a negative direction. But influence is, I think, an absolute best way to, to describe leadership is influence. And how are you using your influence to make your make your team and teammates teammates better? Yeah, and that, that leads into another thing I wanted to talk with you about. And that's really, you've alluded to it a couple times in this, uh, already in this interview, just the idea of uh, culture, the idea of, you know, the chemistry on the team. There's a Peter Drucker quote that, and I've heard on other podcasts, I've heard all over the place, and I've read it several times as well, which is, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? And, you know, the idea that sometimes our best, quote unquote, most talented teams don't have the most success on the field. So talk to me about that and how you've seen that play out in, on, in your teams. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I've learned a ton about this from, from Marcy, uh, from my wife. She's just an incredible leader of culture because that was kind of the role that she, she played through her, through her career. I mean, she was a top player, you know, uh, all American national team player, but she would pride herself on being just a great, a great teammate and, and knowing the different roles within a team and within a culture. And I, and I think that if you can get your, your culture right and you can, you know, put a vision out there, a mission, what is our vision? Well, you know, your goals are winning championships, but that's not your mission and that's not your vision. And you kind of have to put that out there as to what kind of team we want to be. And if you can get complete buy-in, you absolutely can be better as a whole than if you just had a couple of stud athletes. I think you and I spoke briefly the other day about early on in our culture here, we were rebuilding. You know, this program hadn't won, had a winning season in 10 years before we got here. And the culture was, was not great. You know, we come in and say, hey, what do, you, what do you want to be? What kind of team do you want to be? And the girls would say, well, we know what we don't want to be. You, you know, we want to win. We want to we say, well, you may not like how we do this, but we're going to go after it. And it'll be hard. And their buy-in immediately was just incredible. You know, we had freshmen coming in, playing over seniors. It was like, hey, this is what you wanted. Are these girls better than you? Are they more talented? Yeah, yeah, coach, they are. I think this is what we need to do. And just their buy-in was incredible to where you get to 2012. And player for player, we had no business uh, winning a Big 12 championship. Player for player, we had no business into the Sweet 16 and, and taking North Carolina to penalty kicks. No business, player for player. But culturally, I think we had the best program in the country. And just because the buy-in there from top to bottom, everybody was on the same page. We knew what we wanted to be about. We knew what we wanted people to, to see when they looked at us. Uh, and, that, and that's been continuous, not through the best years, but you know, you're, you're not always going to have success. But you, you're so much more capable of being a better team when everybody's on the same culture train than not. You know, early on, we couldn't take on a, a top kid who had a bad attitude because the attitude would over overweigh the culture. Right. Now we're at a point where our culture could probably take on a kid that maybe doesn't have the best attitude because the culture is greater than a single player. So right. I think establishing culture early on, maybe taking your nod because of it is so important. It is about the long game, which can be tough in our industry because we are results driven. But we really felt, Marcy and I just felt from the very beginning that we were gonna do it a certain way. And, you know, 
live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. But we felt like God honored that because it was what we felt like we were supposed to do. And it's just, it's a more, it's, it's a way more fun environment to be around also uh, as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. With that, I think that the, the next obvious question, at least for me, maybe it might not be obvious to people out there, but in my head, and I'm the one asking the question, so I get to ask it. You get um, to lead that. That's exactly right. I can, even if you weren't thinking it, now you will be. So the idea, just recruiting. So obviously something that all leaders are having to do, if you, know, if you grow at all, is to recruit new people. So with that come a few issues, right? You have the idea of recruiting the people for that culture. So you have the idea of, you know, a virus, if it's strong enough, could overcome the strongest culture too, right? And, you know, it just takes one to kind of feed into those other things. As we said, it's contagious. We know about viruses nowadays, unfortunately. Yes. But the other thing, idea, the other idea though, is just the onboarding process. So can you kind of speak mm-hmm. to just that recruiting process that, that you do regularly? Obviously, it's a big part of what you're doing and you're continually bringing new people in to the program. In fact, you have 14 freshmen this year, eight of whom are starting, right? And to watch, yeah. you know, the game last Friday night anyway, you played the number four team in the country, it held them to a tie, almost one in in the second overtime shot off the crossbar. So you had quite the game there, but the idea of you could see even on the field that buy-in to it. So which, which, you know, that to me kind of shows me there is a quick onboarding because you're what in the fourth game of the season. Is that about right? Yeah. So yeah, that's a quick onboarding, you know? So I think once you've, once you've established culture uh, as a coach, you're not, you're not hands off, but you hope, hope to say, as my pastor used to say, just keep them, keep them, keep them out of the ditches, keep them on the road. You're not driving the car, but maybe just keeping them out of the ditches. Your veterans are leading it at this point, you know, and, and coming your, your culture being disseminated from within your culture is way better than it just coming out of the, the quote unquote leader or coach's mouth all the time. Right. It's kind of like you tell your kid to do something six or seven times, they don't get it. They go, they go to their coach says the same thing. And he's like, Oh yeah, why wouldn't I do it that way? And like, I've said it a hundred times to you. Why don't you do it? So same thing with your, your own team. But once you establish your culture, you have buy-in from your older players onboarding the, the new kids is so much easier when your older players, your veterans, your leaders uh, within your program are the ones really setting, setting the tone. This is how we do things for us. You know, we we just encourage our older players to wrap their arms around these young kids you know, because the sooner they are, you know, woven into what we're doing, the better we're going to be and the faster we're going to get there. The more it's, hey, you're the new kid, prove yourself. Like, we'll talk to you when you, you know, earned your key sort of thing. Just sets you back. And, and these kids realize, especially once they become juniors and seniors, their career is almost over. We don't have time to spend a couple of years getting these kids onboarded. So I'm just really proud of our, our veterans for for what they've been able to do with these 14 dynamic, unique personalities that have come in. They're, they're over, I mean, we say 14, but let's put that in perspective. That is 50% of my team. Right. Is, you know, it's not 14 out of 60. It's 14 out of 29. And it, so it's, it's quite, a, quite a lot of kids and it can be a lot of influence. But once you've established your culture, it's easier to, to bring in that number of kids. And, and you're, you're doing your due diligence, right? I mean, you're, you're not just picking up any kid off the street. You're talking to coaches, you're meeting parents, you're meeting families, you're meeting the kid, you're spending time with them. And I think just the idea of, you know, recruiting of, Hey, you've got customers and employees, right? You know, my, when we're recruiting, we're recruiting 
customers. We're trying to sell the idea of, of Baylor University. We're trying to sell the idea of our culture and how we do things. And then when you get them on, you're, they're still customers through their process because they can really take off at any point if they're not happy or you've sold them a bill of goods, right? This is what we're about. And they show up and they're like, hey, this isn't what I bought into. So you've got to be true to your word. But then when they're here, they are, they are kind of employees too. And you have to treat them the right way as employees, but hold them to a standard so that they can perform and take on that quote unquote burden of continuing that culture, right? Hey, you, you came here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Now that's on you to continue to push that culture and, and build it in what we can do to even be, be better. So that idea of customers, employees, uh, as my, my players, I, I see them as, as both from a, you know, at least from a, a, a business standpoint, I see them as customers and employees and navigating what are they in that moment can be can be tricky at times yeah and that, that's that's something you talked about during one of our conversations that really stuck to me was the idea of that customer and employee relationship kind of idea to put it into obviously business terms which is what we're doing here right to have that intersection yeah. and that idea of that consumer culture that has just seeped into virtually everything in our in our country and probably our world is just this idea of you know, there's all these different options. And I think with the internet, people are seeing all those options more and more and more. And with the way the club system in soccer has gone with the way the different things in all pretty much all businesses have gone, you have options galore, right, to, to be able to go to and maybe not if you're looking for a full scholarship or a partial scholarship or whatever, but you do have a lot of options. So with that, from the customer standpoint, I remember, you know, when I was sitting in your office with my daughter, you were, I mean, you sold a pretty cool, pretty amazing thing. I mean, and, and I mean, that's what you were selling. Right. And, and, and it was, and then I went and watched the, the practice and it, it was consistent. Right. You know, so there's that side of it. And you kind of have that higher, slow fire fast, which you mentioned the recruiting process isn't something where you just say, Hey, you're, Oh yeah, you look good on the two minute video. So come, come my way. No, you obviously have that kind of slower hiring, but when it goes kind of bad, Right. So let's say there's there's a virus. There's so let's say that, you know, as an employee, there's sometimes you have to fire, right? What does that look like in the in the context of your of your team? Well, a couple of things. I mean, and first off, I, I think we've got to we've got to hit on the fact that, you know, with our, our social media world we're in too, everything else looks better. Right. So kids are not just kids, all of us uh, run the risk of not pushing through hard things. And just getting out of it because it looks easier somewhere else or looks better somewhere else or people are just telling you their their great story uh their best day their best moment uh, and you're that's all you're seeing so we're, we're missing an opportunity to really teach uh these young people how to push through hard things and holding them accountable to things uh, but you know there are times where you do get a virus uh, and i think you have to navigate as a coach two things two things for me that i think of or maybe a few things but one is What's what's in the best interest? If we're if we're talking about people first, and that's if that's my philosophy, I've got to think. Okay, what's in the best interest of this young person? Is it to cut them loose, uh, which isn't really very easy to do anyway nowadays, or is it to try to teach them something through this and help guide them through this? And then if you pick number, you know, if you're if you're guiding them through something, how long do you do that to where it then becomes okay? At what point does this affect the other 28 kids on the team in a negative way? So navigating those two things can be very difficult. And to be just transparent with you, I'm, I'm very slow to fire, sometimes too slow, but at least I've been told. But I've just seen some amazing things happen 
with young people when you can, one, if you buy in and they buy in, some amazing, amazing things can happen. Now, now what I'm learning is that I'm very willing to buy in, but I've also learned there's certain, certain, certain people that are not willing to buy in on their side. Big talk, no action. And that's the moment where you realize, okay, it may be best for you to find another place. So I think that's a difficult thing because I think, you know, while you want to win championships and you want to build a, a, a strong culture, sometimes the strongest culture is built by those kids that fought through something, have now come to the other side of it and like, oh, this is awesome. But the kids that don't click into that are the same ones that are like, oh man, they, they are the virus. So navigating that is, is extremely difficult, but it's, it's definitely something that we're doing, you know, yearly. Not, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, that's not all, you know, roses here. You know, there are kids it doesn't work out for. And I've seen kids go off and have great careers other places. And I've seen kids who've gone off and their troubles follow them. So, and, and I, I think I mentioned to you the other day, we've had a lot of successful kids come through this program. The ones that keep me up at night are the one or two or three that, that you feel like you missed. You know, those are the ones that keep you up at night. Yeah, definitely. No, and that, that's life, right? I mean, I think that that is yeah. something that you've said a few things here. One of them reminds me of actually my law school days, the idea of the culture and the, I mean, it, it goes into the last two answers you gave. One is the culture is so strong because the leadership instills it in the, in the law school example, the students in the team example into the team, but there was a violation of a, of a rule and the, the school didn't do anything about it. The class did. The class yeah. said, that's not how we act here. You know, we're going to give you one more chance. I mean, we, we're giving you grace, but, but if you do it again, you know, we don't accept that here. And it, it was, yeah. and I imagine a lot of that's going on on your team too. There's that self-enforcement, like, Hey, that's not who we are as Baylor soccer. Is that, yeah, is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are things that I'll hear about months, years down the road that I never knew happened. And I, and there's a part of me like, man, I wish I'd known that. But the reality is I'm glad I never knew about it because the culture itself took care of a problem that had they not addressed it, I would have had to address it. And by the time I would have found out about it, it would have been so blown up uh, that maybe we couldn't have done a lot about it or it would have you know, had some pretty bad ramifications. So I love the stories and love hearing things where, you know, the team itself is, is navigating, you know, consequences for actions because there, there have to, there have to be standards for, for a culture. Absolutely. So a couple more things as we, as we wind this up, the, the first thing is something that, that Ryan and I talked about in the first episode, just the idea of really understanding, studying and understanding our players, the different personalities. And as a coach to be able to understand each personality. So you know how to really coach them individually as well as corporately, but also for the coaching staff, the importance of understanding the personalities of the coaching staff and who does what in the coaching staff. And so can you speak to that? how that plays out in your uh, in your program yeah i think it's very easy as a, as a coach as a leader to to take your personality and put that on everybody else and expect uh everybody else to understand how you understand to to communicate how you communicate and i, I think if you do that you you're setting yourself up to fail very quickly those of us that are that are married and have children i think we know very quickly that even within your own household that's something that you learn is you know the best way to to have a, a strong household is be able to communicate properly with your spouse and with your children. And even, even though your children are, are born of you and your wife, their personalities are, can be totally different from you. Like, where did you come from? You're not yeah. like me or your mom, you know? <laughs> so that navigate, that helps you navigate it a bit. But I think within your program, having a staff that 
is not a cookie cutter of yourself because with a stat with a, a team of 30, 32, whatever it may be on a year, you may have one or two that relate directly with you. And you hope that a few of them direct, you know, relate directly with the other staff members, whether it's assistant coaches or director of operations, your athletic trainer, somebody that then connects directly back to you as the, as the head coach or leader to help disseminate information properly to get the best out of everybody and being able to have an open ear to people that don't communicate how you do. It's huge for a culture. Everybody needs to feel like they're, they're being heard. Everybody needs to feel like they, they have an opportunity. But if we're not able to communicate, which is talking and listening, then, then you don't have an opportunity to be very successful as a, as a program or as a, as a team or as a business. So, so I think the, the cookie cutter idea is not a successful one when it comes to personalities. Absolutely. You know, and I was, I was reading the Alex Ferguson autobiography and him talking about how he didn't become the manager who he was until he realized he couldn't be both the trainer and the manager and right. that he really needed to listen more as the manager. And then, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with the personalities of the, of the coaches and the managers as well, because of, you know, their, how they act and interact and whether they're detail oriented or people focused, things like that, that, that really impact that have you have you seen that in your staff yeah for sure i mean i think i think he even says something in, in one of his books about how if he's not working on his team every day he's setting them up for failure you know that you you know with all the success in the world that he's had even with that with that team he was walking in every day knowing that something something new was going to happen he had to be working on it every day and i think with even in our own staff when you find yourself getting comfortable get get worried get scared uh, because that, those are the moments that things start to fall. And I know even in my own career, uh, a number of years ago, I, I had to reassess everything that I was doing. It didn't mean firing people. It meant really firing myself and saying, hey, you're getting way too comfortable. You need to step it up and, and hold yourself more accountable so that you can then hold staff and players more accountable. But it's a constant, it's a constant thing. I think somebody, somebody said that something about culture being being a behavior not a belief you know culture is not a belief it's a behavior so behavior is something you're constantly acting on you're constantly having to adjust it and work on it and holding holding your staff accountable to that too is is extremely important hey are you meeting with a couple of kids that i i really can't connect to because we need that kid connected so yeah that, that constant reminder is, is so important to stay engaged with with your culture as a behavior Absolutely. And there's so many things that I even saw just a little exposure I had to your program that, that back that up. So don't have time to get into that today, but there are two more questions. One is, you know, you alluded to the, the differences of your children. And I, I had five kids that I have. They're all totally different personalities. And, you know, yeah. one is like my mini me. One, one is probably my close to my wife's mini me, but the other ones, man, it's like, what is going on here? Who, who are these kids? But even the mini me's we, we butt heads probably more than anything. Right. You know, so, but what are some, I really want to be able to have people take the things we're talking about here and apply them into their lives. So some of the people listening are, are parents like, like you, you and me are, and that I am. And, and so what are a couple things, maybe just one thing that you have learned playing or coaching soccer that you, you and Marcy use in your parenting that you use in your marriage? What are some of those things you like, it, for instance, in my house, we often will say the retaliator gets the red. Right. So right. <laughs> straight you know? off the pitch into the house. I like that's that. exactly right. You know, yeah. my wife and I were, were both soccer players too. So, and our kids are too. So they get that. Right. So there's things like that, that, that you might be able to do, but give me, give me an example of something that you use that people might be able to take. 
Well, first and foremost, I don't care what job or industry you're in. Your number one team is your team in your house, your family. So whatever sacrifice you have to make to develop your culture within your walls of your home, do it. If it sacrifices your job and your your culture within your industry, it, it's 100% worth it. We've taken some big chances over our career in the same regard and have seen nothing but but blessing within our household because of it. But I think that the game within our household, you know, if you knew Marcy as, as a player, she's one of the most physical, tough, yeah. physically tough players that, that played. We talk a lot about getting stuck in. And if you're, if you're going to go into things lightly, uh, you're, you're more likely to get hurt. So go in, go in hard. And that doesn't mean go in mean. It just means be, be confident in what you're doing. Give your best at all times because then no one can question your effort. Attitude and effort always are going to supersede talent. And, and so those are some, some little things I think that we try to embed. But culture, for sure, a mission and vision for our family, the things that are going to be non-negotiables within our, within our household as far as attitudes or talking back or disrespect all play into our team. One thing that definitely overlaps is I tell my players and my kids, if you've done something wrong, tell me. Because the punishment for being wrong, doing something incorrectly or wrong will be way less than if I find out you lied about it. Right. Uh, so honesty and truth and integri- integrity will be number one in anything that, that we want to be about. I love that. I love all those. I love, I, I'm going to use that, that, that stuck in thing too, because <laughs> we all know most of our, like the vast majority of injuries come when you're not going all in. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I'd love that. And, and that well, sometimes that sometimes you can make up for a mistake by going all in, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bad touch is only a bad touch if, if you're not, not willing to make up the extra steps to get on that bad touch. So That's right. uh, go, go in and, and, and go in hard. And sometimes you make a bad, de- a wrong decision, a right decision. A couple of my kids will love that. You just said a bad touch can be remedied. So, <laughs> so the last the last question and the first interview here, we may be changing this last question, but I like having, especially if I totally botch it, you can totally change it. Right. You know, I can always edit that out too. So, but what, uh, what book kind of movie podcast that, you know, maybe you've watched any documentary that is really that you've used kind of most in your coaching that people can also use to help you understand how to lead others with excellence. Well, a couple things. Oswald Chambers up most for his highest has been a a go-to for me and Marcy for our entire coaching career. There's just so many great nuggets in there about really about leadership, about how God manages things, how to navigate people, how to lead people. John Maxwell, the 20, 21 most powerful minutes in leadership is a great daily devotional about leadership. There's a new podcast that actually to promote maybe a friend of mine, uh, it's called Chasing What Matters. And he's bringing in, he and his son are working on this together, bringing in great Christian leaders. That It's just an amazing podcast that I've really gotten a lot out of the last uh, month that they've been been up. And then one other person I'll shout out to is Tim Elmore. I think he does a great job helping navigate the different generations and how they are to be led. Uh, his Habitudes program uh, are things that I kind of go back to now and again. And then, sorry, this is a long one. What's your one thing? I don't have one. That's but right. Any, any book from any professional coach, whether it's, you know, the soccer or football coaches to Dan Gable, who's one of the greatest wrestling coaches of all time, just nuggets from coaches that are more wise and more experienced than me is where I get some of my greatest, greatest nuggets of, of truth. I love that. 
uh, you can't have enough resources for folks out there because different people like different things, different mediums as well. And I, I tend to, yep. to get different things from different areas. And, and so definitely appreciate those. I've read a few of them. Uh, haven't read all of them. Haven't, of course, when you say autobiographies of any coach, I definitely haven't read all of those. But <laughs> well, Ferguson is a great one. You know, that was a fantastic. Great, great stuff in there. Yeah. So, all right. Well, well, Paul, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you for just the wisdom that you shared today. I thank you for being consistent too. Cause you know, like I said, I've, I've watched you, you know, from whether it's on TV, but also there in Baylor or uh, in, in Waco at Baylor. And I just uh, thank you for being a, a good, good man. That's a model for so many and are, are leading some, some, you know, these women as well as we didn't talk about your camps, but the young, the young kids as well, you and Marcy and what you're doing. And I'm just very grateful that I've been able to, to become a friend. So thanks a lot, Paul. Absolutely. Well, Phil, thanks a lot for, for all you're doing, not only for, for the game, but just for, for, for the kingdom. And I uh, just appreciate getting to know you over the last number of years and uh, looking forward to where this goes, this podcast. It can only go up from here, no doubt about it. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's another leadership principle. You set the bar low, you can always hit it, right? So <laughs> it's actually not a leadership principle, folks. That was a joke, just to be clear. Sometimes jokes yeah. don't, don't go well over podcasts, but that was. Well, thanks a lot, everybody, for uh, you know, this, this first episode that we were able to have. We're very grateful that you chose to take some time to download this episode and listen to, to our conversation. If you liked it, which I hope you did, I, I hope that you will be able to share it with your friends on social media, that you will go and rate and review it at Apple Podcasts. And I just hope that most importantly, I hope that you're using kind of what you're learning here, what you learned on the first episode after, you know, before this, and what you'll learn in the, in the future, as well as maybe reading all these books that Paul was talking about. You'll take it and use it to help you become a leader in every area of your life. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.